just as a word of warning, I'm not planning on breaking anything else, but you never know what might happen. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Mark had some challenges with the slides because what I wanted to start us thinking about is how much of our life is controlled and driven and run by things that are really complex that we don't think about. So I want to have you interact with me a little bit. I'm going to name some things, and you raise your hand, and you can do the shy three-quarter raise if you want to. Uh, but raise your hand if you not only know what it is, but you know how it works. Okay? And I think there's chances on some of these. Uh, we'll start. X-ray machine. Okay, great. Automobile engine. Knew there'd be a couple on that. This is a tricky one. Your pancreas. Hey. Pancreases are underrated. They're very important. How about gravity? Good. You can exp I want someone to explain gravity, how it works for me. So. Now, there's one that we use in the church that kind of falls into the same thing. It's complex. Maybe you do or don't understand it. How about discipleship? Yeah. I knew everybody. No. <laughs> you know, we've all heard about discipleship. We talk about it a lot. But a lot of us don't really know how it works. Um, like a lot of things on the list, we can see the results from it. We depend on it being there. We know it has a critical function in our growth. And we know it's important. But how it actually functions day to day and how we do it, we don't really know. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to, if, if I'm successful, what I'd like for you to leave is just with a general idea of what discipleship is and how you can get started with it. And when I say you, I mean anyone in here can get started like this. So let's pray and then we'll look at it a little bit. Father, we thank you just for letting us be here and ask that uh, your word would be the thing that speaks to our heart, that you would challenge our lives and that we would listen to you, that we would have soft hearts, willing to listen and willing to learn. And Father, help us to, to just figure out this discipleship and exactly what our part is in it. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's been a resurgence in discipleship recently. It's being talked about a lot more. There are a lot more books and seminars about it. I know here at Mellon Park we've mentioned family discipleship a number of times. And it's gotten a lot of attention, but I don't know that all the attention has necessarily cleared the air or made it any clearer on what it, what it is. That's because, at least as far as I know, and I could be corrected on this, discipleship isn't a scriptural term. You can't go to your Bible and actually find the term discipleship in there. You'll find disciple a lot, but discipleship isn't listed. And so it's really easy for someone to take the word discipleship and build their own idea of it and support it with scripture. And so there can be a whole lot of definitions of discipleship out there. But that also can create a lot of confusion. And so what I want to do is kind of look at some of the roots of what I think discipleship is. Uh, kind of make a, uh, a definition of sorts. And to me, the place to start is the word disciple. Uh, the Greek word is metheotis, I believe is how it's said. But it means disciple or learner. And uh, the bigger definition is someone who follows after and seeks to learn from another. Now, I've been a disciple of many people, all kinds of different men. I followed it around and tried to learn things from. Most recently is my friend Lance Landusky. Um, a while back, we had some lights go out. One 
ceiling lights and a couple pl electrical plugs in one room stopped working. And so I went and I checked the breakers like I should, and then I called Lance. <laughs> Sorry, Lance, you're not committed to everybody here. <laughs> but what I did is I followed him around for about an hour to how he figured out exactly what the problem was. But I wasn't just following. I was following with the idea of trying to understand what's his thinking, how's he solving this problem, where is the issue. I was trying to be a learner. I was trying to be a disciple, following someone around, trying to learn from them. And so that's what a disciple is, a picture of it. Now, as we move that into church, we need to join Jesus into this idea. And so my, what I would say is disciples in a church are people who learn to be like Jesus and learn to do what Jesus would do. One of the writers on discipleship that I've read about said, discipleship is a process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Learning how Jesus would live your life. That's becoming a disciple. So, learning is part of being a disciple. Another piece of disciples is disciples are made. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is a verse that we're all familiar with. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I read an interesting article recently that talked about how, especially focusing on this verse, the command is to go make disciples, that our calling isn't necessarily to go make churches, but we're to make disciples. And the idea of the article, and I think I agree with it, is that if we make disciples, the disciples will form churches, and churches will happen. But the calling that, God, that Christ puts on us, at least, is to go and make disciples. If we focus on making disciples, we will end up with churches. But if we focus on making churches, we're not guaranteed to end up with disciples. So a disciple's a learner, and disciples are to be made. And to me, the third piece that you need to include with this is it's a generational thing. I first started really hearing about discipleship when I was in college, and it stirred my heart in a deep way, and has ever since. And it's the idea of, if I went out and made a disciple this year, and then the next year, that disciple and I went out, and we each made a disciple, and then the next year, the four of us went and made disciples, and we just continue this process, that if I did my math right, in 32 years, we would reach the world, all seven billion of them, by that simple process. Well, the sad part is, I heard that 38 years ago, and it still clearly hasn't happened. But that's not because the process doesn't work. That's because it's harder than just going out and making one quick little disciple. It's a complex thing. So if we put all these things together, I'll give you what I put together as my definition of discipleship. And like I said earlier, this is just mine, but it's what I use. Discipleship is helping someone to follow and learn of Jesus to the point that they repeat that process with someone else. Not really that hard. Helping someone to follow and learn of Jesus to the point that they repeat that process with someone else. Now, it sounds easy, doesn't it? I think we can do that. Well, it's not all that, always that easy. I can't tell you how many times I've ended up sitting and scratching my head, going, all right, what's the next step? How do I help this guy get to the next level? You know, each situation is so unique, each person is so different, that you can't just repeat the same thing again and again. I know what we want. What we want is a program, or maybe a curriculum, uh, a method, a set of steps. 
it would be really nice and easy if we could just say, if I do one, two, three, four, five, I get one. And then I'll do it. But it never works like that. I think what we'd like uh, maybe is an app. Uh, just as a side note, when I had that idea, I actually went on my phone. There is a couple apps for discipleship. But what they are, they're going back to what we said. They're just a series of steps. But maybe something you want to tr- check out. But steps is not, a disi- is not true discipleship. There's no one right way. There's no one thing that works all the time. And what happens is what works here is different from what works in Cambodia. And that's different from what works in Brazil. You know, even to the point of what works here is different from what works in Illinois, or even on the east side of Lubbock. And so I'm sure I've probably got you to the point now that you're going, okay, if it's that special and that hard, how the heck do you think I'm going to do it? Well, I've got one little piece, and if you remember this one little piece and follow it, I think everybody will start discipleship. So here it is. I love pauses like that. Walk with God and talk about it. Now that's easy. Walk with God and talk about it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break, talk about it in the two pieces. First we're going to talk about walking with God and then how to share that with other people. So starting with the walking with God, it's just a relationship. It's two people interacting, two who are interacting, who care for each other and bring joy to each other. But what happens is we relate to God a lot of times. We try to leave him out of the picture. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Jeremiah 2.13. Really challenging verse here. I think we do this too. We try to substitute all kinds of different things for Christ and for what Christ can do with us. Let me read that to you. Jeremiah 2.13. Just so you know, it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. kind of gives you a place to look for in the scriptures. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so what he's telling to the people of Israel is, right here you have me, this fountain that will meet every need in your life. You see it, and you're over here, digging your own well. Now, does that make any sense to us? Trying to get our needs met on our own without God. God desires to be the source of all we have. He is all that we need. He is capable of that. We can be completely content in Him, receiving all that we need. But I think like the Israelites, we find our satisfaction in other things and our source of joy in other things. I know that's true in my life. Um, I've got two different illustrations I want to share. I think most of you, or some of you that know me, uh, know that I uh, work on computers. I've done this for a long time. I used to do a lot more than I do now. But I would build my own computers. Uh, What I would do is I'd take out a PC magazine, and I'd read and find out all the latest and greatest hardware and what it is. And then I'd try to figure out, well, on my budget, what can I afford? And I'd go out and buy those parts and put them together and make a computer. Uh, It's really not that hard. But I'd get it all made, and I'd turn it on, and wow, this thing was so fast, and it was so cool, and it was almost like it knew what I was going to do, and it would click things before I even moved my finger. 
And it was amazing. It was just that quick. And so that would go on for several weeks. I just had that sense of amazement. And even for the next months, I would still be, wow, this is fast, this is neat. But I kept reading PC Magazine, and I kept realizing, hey, there's new stuff. There's faster parts. And after a while, I'd start getting discontent. And so I'd research again, buy new parts, build a new computer. Buy new parts, build a new computer. And this started just to be a cycle. And I realized it was a cycle. But what I started to see uh, after more times than I'm going to publicly admit is that I figured out this was an endless cycle, that I'd never be content. I started trying to, I seen that I was thinking to be content and feel good about myself because I had this great fast computer. I was seeking something from that computer that Christ was wanting to give to me. I was substituting it. That computer became my broken cistern. Um, another example is a little more current, um, just in the past months. But I have to give you some background on my life. Um, when I was in elementary school, every day when I'd get home, my mom would sit down and I'd have, she'd make me a snack and would sit and talk some. And it was a cookie or a piece of pie or a piece of cake or something. And would sit and talk, kind of talk about my day. Now, just in my family, we didn't do a lot of talking like that, so it was a very special time. Well, what happened in, during that time is I made a secondary connection. I also started seeing that cakes and pies and sugars kind of made me comforted. Oh, I, I feel better when I eat these things. They brought me comfort. And people who know me know that I still have rarely met a dessert that I didn't like. But in the past couple months, as I was struggling with some of these hard staff things that I mentioned earlier, I started admitting what I'd known for a while, is that it's easy for me to turn to sugar for comfort. And it doesn't work. Okay, now I know for some of you, you just don't want to accept that, and for some of you, it's just a lie from hell. But for me, going to sugar for comfort never really did comfort me. It was like this verse says, it was a broken cistern. I was turning to something to receive what Christ really wanted to give me. And the issue isn't the sugar or the computer or whatever you fill in the blank with. It's not the thing that's the problem. Um, it's the way we relate to the thing, what we seek to get from it, rather than going to Christ to get that thing. And I think if all of us are honest, we'll all admit as we look at our life, we we'll each have our own cisterns. Things that we turn to when life is hard or sad or scary or I'm angry. And those things will disappoint us. They will always disappoint us. Uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes on this is from J.I. Packer. And I still love this quote. And he still seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world to attach those hands to himself. God is trying to get us to let go of the things so we'll hold him. And so that's the relationship with God. And so you need to focus on how do we develop that relationship. It needs to be personal. It can't be a third party. It can't be someone else relating for us. I know as in this part of Texas especially, we know lots of people who their relationship with God is based on Sunday. So I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, what if my relationship with Sherry, my wife, was based just on Sunday, like people do church? So imagine this is my relationship with my wife. Day to day, I never actually listen to her. 
We live in the same house and eat meals together, and she's always around, but we don't talk. Sometimes at family functions, I say something before the meal to her, but it's usually kind of rote and tradition more than anything. I have some letters from her, but I never look at them. Once a week, I go to this meeting, and there's this guy that does listen to her. He listens to her a lot, and he tells me about what she thinks and what she feels and what's important to her. And I learn a lot about it. He tells this to a whole group of us, and sometimes he even talks to her right there in the room. For some reason, I don't get it. Why does he seem to know her better than I do? I can't relate to my wife like that, just showing up on Sunday and hear someone else talk about her. And so we can't relate to God like that either. So a relationship like with each other, like our relationship to God, has to just be talking and listening. We need to listen to the Lord, and we need to talk to him. So when it comes to listening to the Lord, the navigators have an illustration called the word hand. And if you'd like to see a picture of it or get a little more information, just Google word hand and go to one of the navigator websites, and it'll be on there. Well, what it is, it takes your hand, and each finger is a different way to to get into God's Word. So it's really easy to remember. So what I'm going to do is start at the pinky and work my way around and just talk about the five different fingers, five different ways that we can get into God's Word to be able to listen to Him. So we'll start with hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. We need to hear God's Word. And that could be coming here on Sunday. You're hearing God's Word now. You know, maybe you listen to the Bible on CD. Maybe you listen to podcasts. I know I love to listen to podcasts when I exercise. Whatever it is, just listening to, pod, to God's Word. The next finger is read. Reading God's Word. Uh, Revelation 1.3 talks about that. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, I've known uh, Siri's father for well over 30 years now. And as long as I've known him, every year he's read through the Bible. He's now kind of gotten to the point where he finishes in more like September, October than actually taking a whole year to read it. But what that's done is it's built in him a knowledge and understanding of the scriptures that's hard to beat. He knows the full scriptures, where all the people are, how they all fit together, how it all flows, just by reading. Reading's a part of, the word, of us getting to the Word of God that we can use. Next is study. That's the one that we often think about and talk about. Uh, Acts 17.11 talks about how the verse says, uh, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now, when you're studying the scriptures, it's more than just reading. You're not just going to read past it, but you're actually going to take some time and look at a chunk of scripture. It may be a book, it may be a chapter, and start figuring out, what's the main idea of this? What's it trying to say? How do the different parts relate? How does it relate to the whole? Looking at the parts and the whole and figuring out how, what all the relationships are. That's studying. It's another part of or way that we can get into God's Word. Next one is memorize. Proverbs 22, 17 through 19 is uh, a verse that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to memorize, but it's my favorite. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Just the idea that we have God's word memorized in our heads so that it's ready on our lips. And that may be ready for us to be able to speak to someone else, 
or it may be ready so that God can challenge us or speak to us in our hearts about something. We don't have to always have our, you know, be people that are walking around with our Bibles open so God can speak. Uh, I hope I... If we have God's Word memorized, it's always ready. It's on our lips. And then the last one is meditate, the thumb. And that's where things really get strong and serious. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. But, his medit- but he delights in his law, excuse me, but he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree stream- planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. I know a lot of people sometimes can get nervous when they hear the word meditation. And we're not talking about Eastern meditation where you want to empty your mind. This is just the opposite. We want to fill our mind. We want to fill our mind and focus it on God's Word. So it's taking a verse and thinking about it. Why, does, why is it phrased like this? Why are different words used in it? What's the importance of this? What's the importance of this word? How does this all work together? Kind of chewing on it. Trying to dig out what the real depth and all it says in it. Uh, back when I was in college, I memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it was just a, a few years ago, I was meditating on it and trying to focus on what are some of the different words and why are they used in there? And the, one of the words that's in there is the word the. And you think, the, it's kind of a throwaway word. It's put in there just so it makes sense. But actually, there's a real reason for it. The idea is that the faith given, it, let me read the verse to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. When you put the the in there, this gift that God has given, the gift of faith, that is the gift of God. Of all the gifts he could give us, that is the best one, because that assures us of our eternity with him. And so it may just be a little word, the, but because I was meditating on this verse, spending some time thinking about it, all of a sudden, it opened up in a whole new way with a whole new meaning to me. So those are how we can get into God's Word. Now, they call it the hand because there's more to the illustration. Just like we want to hold on to things, if I'm just hearing God's Word, yeah, I'll get it, but not so well. But if I read some and study and memorize and meditate, then I can really get a grip on God's Word. So that, with that kind of a grip, we really can be listening to God. So that's half of our relationship with God. The other half of our relationship with God is prayer. Now normally when people think about prayer, they think of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But last fall during my sabbatical, God led me into some different thinking about prayer. Now let me go back again and give a little more background. Uh, the church I grew up in was very traditional very formal. Uh, I wore a coat and tie every Sunday. Um, once you came in and sat down, you didn't turn around, and you really didn't speak to anyone until the service was over. When the pastor stood up to pray, I was always amazed. I couldn't believe. He was so eloquent. Everything was phrased so perfectly. He spoke well, theologically correct. It's kind of like, how can a man pray like that? Well, eventually I kind of figured out that he had written them down and was just reading the prayer. You know, everybody had their eyes down. They didn't know, and he could read. And if you're you know, praying publicly, that's fine to do. You know, if you, it's your, but what it is, that doesn't reflect a person's heart. That's not a real prayer life. It's when you read your prayers. 
any more than you end your day every day by going to your wife and reading her. Da, 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 da. God wants to know our heart. And so what happened is, in, in that context, I started looking at some psalms, and I saw some psalms that were leading a whole different direction in prayer. Uh, again, turn with me to the, these two. They're I'm going to look at a couple different psalms. They're all pretty close. Starting at Psalm 62.8. Psalm 62.8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Just that whole thought, pour out your heart before God. That really says a lot. Truly pouring out what's in our heart. Truly saying what we're really thinking and feeling. Just dumping it out. And again, as I meditated, referring to earlier, on this verse, then it ends with God is a refuge for us. Why is that connected? What is pouring out your heart and God being a refuge? Oh, God's a safe place. So I can pour out my heart to him because he's safe. Flip back a little bit to Psalm 38, 9. You'll get kind of the same idea here, but I think it's even a little stronger. Lord, all my desires before you, all my sign is not hidden from you. Truly pouring out your heart, all my desire. God, this is what I want. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. Let me put it all before you. And my sign is not hidden. You know, there's times that sometimes we can't even express ourselves. And it's just a, oh. And that is known by God. He knows our heart at that point. We're not hiding it from him. He wants it exposed. And so as I read these verses and thought about my history, uh, the part of prayer that opened up is just being open and vulnerable with the Lord. And what I've began to realize is intimacy grows by sharing the deep parts of me. Now, that's not rocket science. I think we all, in our relationships with each other, would go, duh. Yeah, I do become more intimate when I share the deeper parts of me with someone else. But when we think about doing it with God, it takes on a unique twist. Because what happens is God already knows my heart. And so when I share these deep things with him, I'm not sharing something with him that he doesn't already know. And so the intimacy is coming not by me telling him more information, because he already knew it. The intimacy comes because I'm opening myself up and trusting him with that, telling him what's on my heart. That's what his desire is. That's how we can become intimate with the Lord, is just opening it up and dumping it all out there. The other thing that happens when we start thinking about it this way is we start to get freedom. You know, I know it's easy for us, as, especially if you've been around church a long time, you think prayers are supposed to kind of go this way. But to be able to pray to God without having to filter what you say, to be able to just dump it all out there, junk, cussing, tears, all of it, and just be completely open with God. Because what we do when we start filtering and trying to make our prayers appropriate for God, we're really just fooling ourselves. 
he knew what we were thinking before we filtered it. So he's not getting fooled. We're fooling ourselves. And I think what's worse than that is we're actually reinforcing a lie. And the lie is that I have to, my prayers have to be so nice. Or I have to clean my prayers up before God will accept them. And those are a lie. In Christ, we are completely pure and clean and accepted. We don't have to clean it all up. All my sins are forgiven, even the thoughts I had. So let me look, I want to take you to a couple examples where David did this. Uh, Psalm 55, verses 3 through 8. While you're turning there, I'm going to go on and start reading. Psalm 55, 3 through 8. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Boy, listen to this part. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. If I could just get away from this. Behold, I would wander away and would lodge in the wilderness. We see God's heart. We see that David was just pouring it all out here. He wasn't holding anything back. He was saying exactly what he thought and felt before the Lord. Now, I want to look at another example, but I feel like I should put a little parameters on it and explanation before we turn there. You can be turning already. Psalm 71 uh, is where we're going to be. And the portion we're going to read is David talking about his enemies. Now, I want you to know that what he's saying is not necessarily prescriptive. He is not telling us how to relate to our enemies. He is telling us how he feels about his enemies. So, just going to read verses 12 and 13 from Psalm 71. O God, do not be far from me. O God, hasten my help. Let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor, those who seek to injure me. That's pretty strong language. I don't think I've ever prayed that for anybody yet. Yet. But David did. David, that's how he was feeling. And that's where his heart was. Well, what's interesting is if we keep looking on down. David prayed his heart. He continued to focus God. Jump down to verse 19. And look what God did. Now his heart is at where he's saying, for your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens, for you have done great things. O God, who is like you? You, who have shown me many troubles and distresses, will revive me again and will bring me up from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. So now he's no longer worried about these other guys. He's going, Lord, you know, you're the one who's shown me troubles and distresses, and you're going to revive me. It's going to be okay. But I think part of it is when he starts by sharing his heart and then keeping his focus on God. And so that kind of gets to the, the explanation of relationship. We talked about how to listen to God, the word hand, you know, hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. We talked about praying our heart. And so that's, that's walking with God. If you do those two things, you'll walk with God. But the other part of discipleship is sharing your life. You know, on a very simple walking with God and sharing and talking about it is discipleship. And I think both parts are needed. You can walk with God, but if you don't share that with anyone, you will never make disciples. You'll never be connected to the community that God wants us connect, connected to. 
But on the other side, if you don't walk with God, but you're sharing everything, well, that's great, but again, you're not going to make disciples because you're not sharing what the things, you're not sharing the things God is teaching you about. So walk with God and share it. Um, we're going to look at some different verses here. Um, don't turn if you'd like, but let me just read them to you. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. And so one of the places we can share these things that we're learning from God with our sons and grandsons. You know, this is something I wish I'd done it more. Not anything big and fancy, but just maybe after I'd had some time with the Lord of saying, hey, I read a neat verse this morning. Da, 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 da. You know, another verse that talks about sharing, this is the one we referred to earlier, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And what's interesting, this is Christ's last command, so it kind of gets looped into that. So we need to teach everybody what we know and to teach them this also, to be talking about what Jesus had said, what he had commanded. You know, I think even the youngest believer can make disciples at this point. If they know the gospel, well, now they know something that they can teach someone else. And then as they learn more, they can teach more. So it's not a level of spiritual maturity. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about being faithful to teach what God has taught you. And then the last... Uh, verse, which Russell shared part of, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What a great picture. Paul is writing to Timothy, telling Timothy to teach what he knows to these faithful men who will be able to teach others. And you can just see how it's getting passed on from generation to generation down the chain. Now, I do feel like I need to put a couple of caveats in on what you share and how you share it with people. Because probably many of us have experienced people who've overshared or shared in ways that maybe hurt us more than helped us. So first, as you think about sharing, be open and honest. Share the good, the bad, the blessing, and the struggle. Now, this is not easy because we tend to, to hide a lot. Uh, turn to Genesis 3.10. This is where the first hiding started. Adam was in the garden. He had partaken of the fruit that he was told not to and was still in the garden. God walked up. And here's what happened. He said, that speaking, this is Adam speaking, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And it starts there and continues today. Our shame, our thing that we're embarrassed about, gets seen until we get afraid and we hide. And we may hide behind a, I'm fine, or behind performance, or who knows what, but we're hiding. And so as you're sharing what God is teaching you, don't hide. If God convicted you about how you, know, you really need to be more loving, Share that. 
yeah, I was reading my Bible this morning, and God said this, I really need to work on being more loving to people. And you'll be amazed how much that openness will open up relationships. Another guideline for when you share is share what God has showed you, not what you think other people need to hear. Um, share to encourage, not convict. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's responsibility. So share with an attitude of trying to encourage someone. And then lastly, share with a, a farmer's mindset, is how I put it. You're planting a seed. You don't see farmers going out and putting fully grown plants into the ground and expecting them to produce immediately. They plant a seed and they hope it will grow. And so if God maybe showed you something in your time with him about his love, and you want to share that with someone, don't feel like you have to take three hours and give them the full theological picture of love and God and how it all relates and all the scriptures. Just plant a seed. Give a thought. Tell them, I read this about God's love this morning. And stop there. And what will happen is, if they're interested, they'll ask you about that. Or maybe make another comment, and now you can have a discussion. Uh, do it with P.T. Barnum's mindset. Always leave them wanting more, rather than wishing that you'd stopped about 30 minutes ago. And you can kind of share with anyone. Uh, when I first went on staff, uh, the man that was training me encouraged me to be intentional relationships. And so what I started doing when I would go to the bank, I made a point of going to one teller. Yes, this was back in the day when you actually went into banks and actually talked to the tellers. But when I'd get in line, I would wait till this one teller was available. And we started, I started to get to know her. She learned I was engaged. And she talked about, and we talked about my wife-to-be. And then later, when we were sharing our marriage, and she, I got to go introduce them. And we continued to develop the relationship. And we were sharing who we were and what we were learning. And what ended up happening you know, with our banker, or our teller, she and her husband had us over for dinner. And so we were able to develop a full relationship just as we were able to share little seeds. And it started with that. And so now I want to, I mean, let me kind of put this all together and tell you how you can get started. Discipleship is walking with God, talking and listening, and then sharing that with others. So for you to start this, it has to start with you walking with God. You know, you need to find a, t a place and a time to do that. And you need to be still. Psalms 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Ingram says it well. It says, until we're ready to be still, we're not ready to know God. You know, I don't think you can really have your time with God as you're driving to work. You know, you need to be able to be still and focus. And so what I want to challenge you to do is, for 10 minutes, four or five times a week, set that time aside. It can be in the morning. It can be at lunchtime. It can be in a break. It can be in the evenings. Whenever works for you, time doesn't matter. But set aside 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, I want to challenge you to first, just read for five minutes. That may be about a chapter. And just read. Don't feel like you have to study it and, and know all the sentences and the grammar. and why. Just read. Then after you've read for about five minutes, take two or three minutes and just start thinking about it. And think, what stands out to me from this time? What not necessarily what's the most important or what's the central idea of this, what I read, but just what stands out to me. And then take the last two or three minutes and talk 
back to God about what you read and what's standing out. And then if there's other things that are on your heart, pray about those things too. See, God wants to speak to us directly from his word, and he wants us to uh, speak to him directly about his word. It's that kind of a direct, personal relationship. Now, some people like to write those thoughts down in a journal. Some people like to make other notes somewhere. Um, I put a note in my phone each day on my calendar of what I read and what the thought was. The other thing that will help you do as you go through the day, it'll help you remember. Because it's really easy to, if you have your time first thing in the morning, to get to about 10 o'clock and go, oh, wait, what, what was that this morning? But if you have it written down, that will help you remember. And when it's in your mind through that, through the day, you'll be amazed at different opportunities that will show up where you might be able to share that. Now, I know some of you may be a little nervous about sharing that with strangers or people that you don't know so well. And so another way that you can approach discipleship is to make an agreement with someone else here. And that agreement would be that each week we're going to share with each other what God has said to us this week. And maybe you'll meet for coffee to do that. Maybe it'll be an email or a text or a phone call. But that each week you're seeking to do four or five times with God. They're seeking to do that. And then once a week you share it with each other. And then over the weeks as you do that, you'll be amazed how you start growing together. And sometimes things you say impact them and things they say impact you. And you start helping each other grow and mature and become disciples together. Now, this whole sermon's been about discipleship. And so, men, I'm not going to make you stand up again, but you heard it from Russell and you'll hear it from me too. If you want to learn more and grow in your commitment to discipleship, come to men's retreat this weekend. But for the rest of us, I want to encourage you, go and make disciples. Start by getting some time with God. Let him speak to you. And then share that with someone else. And just let God use that as however he desires. And I'm confident that God will use these things in great ways in the people around us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you want to know us so deeply and personally. You want to speak to us directly. And you want us to come and share our heart with you. And Father, give us the courage and the conviction then to share some of these things with those around us. Father, I ask that you'd use just this simple process of listening to you, walking with you, and sharing it with someone else. You'd use that to help us start making disciples, and that over the, the weeks and years as we do that with someone, that we'll start seeing growth, and that process will be continuing, and that years from now we'll be able to look back and say, look at the disciples that have been made, just as we've been faithful to what you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.